where superheroes are owned by a multi-million dollar company and act more like super assholes than heroes, it's up to regular Joes like Billy Butcher and his crew to take these wankers down a notch. In this episode, we'll be talking about Amazon Prime's The Boys Season 2. So strap in, you cunts, and join us for a profane and wild ride as we talk about this baldy show. I'm Jose Lopez, and this is No Crap Nation. Hello, all you cunts. Welcome back to Nerdcraft Nation, and for this week, we'll be talking about The Boys Season 2. I'm your host for this episode, Jose Lopez, and with me, as always, we have Austin Hall of Fame. That was a great way to start the show. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) We also have with us Brandon Castle, the Kessley Run. Well, hello there. And also with us, Chris Skywalker. Thank you for joining us. That's the only way I would like to be addressed now. (laughs) Well, thank you guys for joining me on this very gratuitous and very profanity laden episode for Amazon Prime's The Boys Season 2. This season we got a lot of new twists and turns in the show's lore leading back from last season. So I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on the show overall and Season 2. Austin, what did you think of Season 2 of The Boys? It took it to the next level in every way. There was certainly more gore. I was grossed out. I was like one of those parental advisory moms from the 80s or 90s when it came to the gore. They kept swearing and like sailors and the show was phenomenal and bombastic in every way at the way that they had that slow burn to the cinematic finale feeling of having Starlight and Queen Maeve beating up the Nazi was pretty epic well deserved and phenomenal it was truly what the boys is about and you know I was expecting a good season but I think I was surprised at how much better season two was than season one and that's not to take away from season one I just think they are continuing the trend of making a very quality TV show even if you don't like superheroes this is a quality TV show absolutely straight up Brandon your thoughts on season two of the boys so I really appreciated it you know how much I love a good deconstruction and I thought they did a very good job of deconstructing the heroes they were parodying in season one and I think this time they did a good job of really deconstructing constructing the actual characters that they gave us as opposed to just the ideas that they were parroting before so we got a really good look at someone like the deep we got a really good look at butcher and his character we got a great look at homelander especially the nuances of his character even more so than we did in the first season and i thought that was very interesting seeing what becca went through raising the sun seeing starlight and huey and the rest of the boys really come into grips with everything that had occurred and how much they're lives have been turned topsy-turvy since they started to fuck with the seven i thought it was a really good season obviously the mvp for the season aside from anthony Starr's homelander would have to be aya fucking cash i mean yeah. just stormfront was phenomenal from start to finish it feels weird to say that given her character but just as an actress portraying a villain on point on fucking point
point from beginning to end. Absolutely. They took some interesting turns with their character. Like at yeah. first, I thought that since they obviously gender swapped the character from the comics, but then the way they presented Storm from at the beginning of this season, she seemed like a very like super woke liberal type character. It's like, oh no, we need to like fight for gender equality and whatnot. And then halfway through this season, we get a surprise. Oh no, psych! I'm actually a Nazi. And like then, a literal yeah, one. <laughs> a literal Nazi, just like in the comics. So they tied it all back together. Yeah, I thought that was a good way of respecting the source material, but still kind of making the character their own. Yeah. Because it really did drive home that they're trying to tie in present day themes and current events and things that are going on in the outside world today and really tie it in parallel to the comic from when it was written. So we've talked a lot before about a lot of the fake woke celebrity culture and people really just taking public stances on things that they don't really believe in and just really co-opting ideologies and things like that for their own personal gain. So this is like a very blatant example of that and prime example of it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Chris, your thoughts on season two, sir? I thought this was the one superhero show around that it felt like you went and you just transplanted what was going on in today's society and you just threw superheroes in it and it just works. And I think that's its best quality. It doesn't feel too outlandish. It's just like, let's throw superheroes and add them in. And that's honestly its best quality so far. I'm not as deeply invested in the show as anybody else is. I like the show. I think it's good. I think that season two is way better than season one. Like they really stepped it up and they really just leaned in on what went well in season one, the gore, the actual adult nature of it. And they just peeled back a couple more layers. I like that they literally let the villains just be the villains and they're not like really hiding it. They literally are, we're going to show you a smile right now. And then two minutes later, all right, fuck this. Who the fuck do I have to kill to get anything done around here? You, all right, cuts legs off. Anthony Starr, right there with Homelander. Homelander is, yeah, the best example of that by far. Yeah. He has laser eyes. What is he going to do next? Earlier this season, I think, yeah, the the Daredevil-ish type character. Yes. Yes, that's what I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just popped his head. Pops his eardrums and then just like leaves him on the ground. Yeah. Nobody is truly likable in this show. Like, you're not really rooting for anyone. Like, there's good guys and there's bad guys. But, like, I don't know if I can root for everybody because everybody's just got so much nuance to them and layers. And that's important to get in a good story. I mean, I have two people I can root for. (laughs) That's fair, in my opinion. But I will say, Chase Crawford is doing really well in this. Whoever his agent is, he needs to call him and be like, find me more roles like this because I despise that character and he's acting his ass off. (laughs) Yeah. Overall, I really enjoyed this season. I will say that I like the payoff in this season better than season one. I think season one sort of like kept me on the edge more episode after episode, whereas this one was the more like a slow burn. Like you slowly start to find things out here and there. We didn't find out about Butcher I think until like the second or third episode I think he just showed up was like oh hello you can't I'm back daddy's home And then we sort of started unravels. Like, I don't think we get to see it, but I think they showed it in like a behind the scenes clip on YouTube or something of how he got back after the finale of season one, where he finds out that Becca's alive and she had Homelander's kid and then him trying to find his way back to her. I think that arc was really interesting. Homelander continues to be really strong throughout the show. Aya Cash is Stormfront. Surprisingly, I thought they were going to go in a wildly different direction with her character. So at first I thought in the first couple episodes, I thought she was going to try to, how do I put this, put her dick down on the table 
table at the homeland and be like, yo, what's up? <laughs> I'm, run- I'm calling. Uh, I'm, I'm you thought she was trying to become the leader of that team. Exactly. Yeah, I thought she was trying to lead okay. seven and be like, yo, homeland, what's up? But apparently, as we learned later on, no, she just basically wanted to be Mrs. Homeland <laughs> later on and have her perfect, like, neo-Nazi family <laughs> with superheroes. Even on that line, I think, close to the end, when she told the son that, like, oh, yeah, we need to stop this white genocide that's happening. Even homeland was like, Ugh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that, man, read the room. That is too hot of a take. <laughs> the fact that Homelander cringed at that was actually very interesting to me. <laughs> that had me rolling so hard on the ground. I had to pause the entire show and be like, no, we got to get through this. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, with the deep, I thought it was interesting because at first I didn't think they knew what they wanted to do with this character because it all seemed like it was going to be about him and the church and sort of being like, hey, I need to find me a good wife for PR reasons. And he sort of like just stuck with like the whole church angle thing, whereas all the main action was like happening on the side with like the boys and the main heroes. And he's just trying to get back in their good graces. Like, hey, no, I'm back in the team. Sort of similar with A-Train. And after the end of last season, we didn't know what way he was going to go after finding out that Starlight is working for the boys. Was he going to rat on her? Was he going to help them out? And then at the end, when he saw that it was more favorable for him to like have her leak the info about Compound V, Vod does what any big company would do and try to spin a negative into a positive. We had bad actors working on our behalf. <laughs> yep. All publicity is good publicity. Yeah. So it was really well done. I'm very interested to see what they're going to go with moving forward, especially how we sort of like end of things with the AOC kind of character, Victoria Newman, that also very differently from the comics because she he was also a character that got gender swapped. The original character, Victor Newman, was based on George H.W. Bush when he was a vice president during the Reagan era. So now they completely sort of remodeled that character, made her a woman, and modeled her more after AOC, which will be interesting going forward in the next couple seasons. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Very. Brandon, did you have a favorite moment or character for this season? Well, I gotta be honest. Favorite character this season was Stormfront, which again feels really weird to say. <laughs> That's <laughs> Leah Cash's great acting, though, yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah, like, she was such a great villain, and I'm very curious to see her in other stuff. Like, I mean, granted, I know she's capable of being more than just a villain. I wouldn't mind seeing her in the MCU, maybe as a hero. Wink, wink, (laughs) nudge, nudge. (laughs) She's been trying to campaign for that, I think, right? I think so. She wanted to be, uh, like, one of the I think she was partially joking. Maybe. I think she was joking about being Kitty Pryde or Jean Grey. Oh, okay. But I just found her fascinating. I was like, wow, they did an interesting job with her. And to me, it really just captured a lot of some of stuff that we talk about off the pod and stuff like that where people taking these public positions and doing shit for the gram right they're doing shit for instagram they're doing shit for social media but they're not really doing it because they believe in it they're doing Mm. it because they feel that people in their positions should be presenting this to the public instead of being their authentic selves and just taking with that what comes with it yeah i'm curious if they're gonna bring her character back in future seasons at all because it was confirmed by the showrunner that she basically got anakin at the end of season three burn to her she's not dead no she's not dead the, yeah eric Kirkby, the showrunner confirmed it later on in an interview she basically oh, she got anakin shit. she got burnt to a curse oh, with her lips cut off. i mean why would you get rid of aya cash yeah as of now she said she's not currently stated to come back in season three but maybe down the road maybe season four season. yeah maybe season four so it'd be interesting to see a darth vader like stormfront come back later on in future seasons that'd be fucking scary <laughs> no that'd I mean, be wild. That, that would really complete the parallel wouldn't it <laughs> she's uh, mostly impervious and then just gets burned 
down. Yeah. To never forget that. I was also that. curious about the logistics of that because Ryan basically lasered her arm off to save his mom. Like she got like cut right by the neck, but then Stormfro got straight up burned to a crisp. So I don't know how that works logistically. Of his mom just gets like a cut right here, and then Stormfro just gets burned to a crisp. I'm right Angles. there with you. <laughs> I mean, Jose, I also realized I didn't actually answer one of your questions where you asked about a favorite moment. My favorite moment was that end fight sequence. I know there was a little on the nose joke of yeah. you know girls do get it done girls get it done but <laughs> but it was a great scene even though i have absolutely no idea where the fuck queen mave came from true and how but she got let there. me ask you this though was it better than the a-force moment in endgame absolutely <laughs> i will take that moment 10 out of 10 times versus the a-force moment that the showrunners themselves so confirmed that it was a jab at that moment for endgame that it just felt so random to them why wouldn't it be it was a trash that. moment in a really good movie yeah they hey you want to do some fan service that doesn't you know make any why? damn sense you know why that worked they earned it they set exactly. it up in the <laughs> beginning and it paid off you can't yeah. do what 15 20 whatever movies where women are the side characters and then get to hold your crown of look at how many women we have in our movie. Earn it. We are more than happy. We're asking for more female superheroes. You can't just arrive at the finish line saying we did it without actually doing it. One movie out of 23 has a female lead superhero. Earn it, boys. Earn it. Technically two, but one has it as the sole lead. Yeah, and nobody was asking for that one solo lead movie. So also, yeah, Austin, I thought true. you were going to say women get shit done. Well, they do get shit done. Maybe if more women were in the Marvel brain trust, they would have had more female leads and that would have been a kick-ass moment. It's disappointing because that could have been a kick-ass moment. That would have been a great moment to see that if it had been earned. It would have. If it had yeah. been earned. Yeah. You know what really sucks even more about that moment to me? They had one that was very natural just in Infinity War and they fucked it up for Endgame. Yeah, when Black Widow and Koye, when they help out Scarlet Witch. Yeah, yeah. Against one of the daughters of Thanos. All right, Chris, what was your favorite moment or character of the season? Yeah, my favorite moment is when the Compound V reveal comes to fruition and you just see everybody's gears at work because the company actually has to like do a lot of backspin and they're trying to like strategize and they've been trying to strategize just like, do we get a new speedster? Like, how do we recompose this team? And then they're just like, oh no, we're just going to get shot in the foot. Oh fuck. Nope, everybody, we're done. We got to peel it back a little bit. And Frenchie being kind of vindicated for trying to save his friend and the lamplighter incident and everything oh, like that. Yeah. That was kind of yeah. nice. Because that character clearly just really takes on a lot with himself. So it was nice to just see that there was clearly a reason that everything happened. And, you know, peeling back the layers that more of these characters was worth it. I've already said that I don't have a favorite character. I do have two favorite actors in this, though. Chase Crawford as the Deep. Just never getting the real redemption story that he thinks he deserves is very important because when you are a piece of shit you do not deserve a redemption story in any way shape or form why the fuck would you do that and Aya Cash like her interaction with A-Train, oh, A-Train when they first A-Train. meet that lingered for me and I was like there's something there yeah there's some, yeah but like making her an scene, actual Nazi like, hmm, Nazi was like yeah. you fellas you fellas <laughs> you know who you're writing this for <laughs> absolutely yeah well played I've been following Aya Cash since you're the worst and oh, yeah. she's maybe one of my favorite actresses around i wish that she got like a nice starring vehicle sooner or later for a television show again because she is fantastic and really teaches you a lot about clinical depression on you're the worst you learn something on 
TV sometimes, you know? And I didn't realize Laz Alonzo was still alive. That's something the show taught me. Laz Alonzo was still alive. Mother's milk. It's my boy. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Chris. Austin, what was your favorite moment or character of this season? They kind of go hand in hand. My favorite character is Starlight, and the favorite moment I have is when Starlight and Huey reconcile at the very end and decide that they do want to be together. When I watch shows or movies or whatnot, and there's a couple that I like, I think this is in real life too. Whenever I see a couple that I like, I want them to stay together, and whenever they break up I get sad and whether it's fictional or non-fictional I get sad so I really liked this I think for no other reason than it's interesting to have a non-superhero dating a superhero there's going to be a lot of different things you can do with that as they go through their relationship that hopefully progresses but there's going to be bumps I mean there already has been but there's going to continue to be bumps in the road as this goes on and it's another vehicle to explore if we had superheroes and non-superheroes how would a non-superhero superhero relationship work would that relationship work let's find out yeah so and i like that it's a more point. realistic take on it than say for example like a superman or lois or uh spider-man and mary jane yeah, spider-man and mary jane yeah so i felt like the boys did a really great job of making that play out realistically and not have like dewey always be like the damsel in distress that he can actually get shit done too even though he doesn't have any powers yeah and you know for all intents and purposes he's like the everyman in the group yeah you know, everyone else is like former CIA he's just like a dude who worked at a freaking like radio shack until his yeah. girlfriend got killed and yeah. then yeah. he gets thrown in with these folks and he starts dating a superhero and it's just like oh wow this is different <laughs> yeah. and has clear PTSD yes oh yeah still recovering from Absolutely. the whole Robin incident and now oh, yeah. with everything that's happened since the end of season one and I also like how the creators made the little nod so in the comics his character was based off Simon Pegg and then I know in season one Simon Pegg played his dad so that played was a nice yeah. homage yep so I guess my favorite moment in characters for this season so my favorite moment i think the one that made me laugh out the most was the law sausage moment from the prison scene <laughs> i knew you would run. choose something gory <laughs> <laughs> i just remember i was like wait was that his was that his dick <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> so hard. Yeah, we couldn't go the full episode without talking about that moment. Oh, man. I could have. That was disgusting. Of course. I mean, I was kind yeah, of but also, me and you, you know, someone's going to bring it up. Yeah. It was a lot more graphic in the comics, let me tell you. Not surprised. <laughs> nah, that, that makes sense. They get to feel Is this the a wild storm? They're wild storm. Yeah, the girls get a dumb moment was pretty awesome. The lamplighter scene in the tower was pretty great. And yeah, for favorite characters, I think that for me, it's I got a three-way tie between Butcher, Homelander, and Stormfront this season. So Butcher, mm. just because he's classic Butcher, he's the guy who doesn't give a fuck unless it pertains to him, unless it's like Becca or somebody he loves, he'll come through. And I loved the episode where I think it was his aunt made him see the realization that Dewey was sort of like the little brother that he had lost and kept him grounded. And he yeah. finally started to realize that parallel. It was like, why the fuck do I care so much about this goddamn annoying little kid? And it's like, oh, it's because he sort of reminds me of my younger brother and that's why he's a canary yeah he has this relationship with me so that's why i need him around to keep me straight and then homelander just because he's an evil superman you never know what the fuck he's gonna do next i like his unpredictable quality to him that he's fucked up in so many ways whether it's those weird mom fetish that he's been having with madeline stillwell from last season talk about mother's milk (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) 
But uh, I'll be here all week. <laughs> and yeah, Stormfront also coming to play. Ayakash, always on point at Stormfront, bringing this like crazy dynamic to the show. And hopefully, I'm really hoping she comes back Darth Vader style for a future season because she was fucking fantastic. Mm. Oh, and another great character, the unspoken hero, Giancarlo Esposito's character. Yes. Yeah, as the CEO of Vought. Giancarlo Esposito's just been killing it lately. The man just knows how to play a good villain, whether it's in mm-hmm. this, Mandalorian, Breaking Bad. The man knows how to get it done. Like, he he was puts like an element of, of mob boss in there in yeah. every single solitary like villain. I think what makes Giancarlo Esposito so good in these roles, are whether he's in The Mandalorian or this show or in Breaking Bad, or you even saw him in the trailer for Far Cry 6, hopefully that comes out soon, where he's the villain. In every scene he's in, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, you don't know what he's thinking, but you know that he knows that he has all the cards, and that's what yeah. makes his He always has a plan of asleep, yeah. yeah. That's what makes his yeah. character so terrifying. And I love the fact that he played Lex Luthor in the Holly Quinn show. I kind of want him to be Lex Luthor in live action. Yeah, why um, can't we get I completely that? forgot about that. What the fuck that? is wrong with people? It could. Yeah. Flashpoint. It could happen. Make it happen. Fuck oh Jesse Eisenberg. Let's get Giancarlo up in here. He would have been yeah. so great as Lex Luthor. Holy uh, shit. Jose, I'm with you. Giancarlo Esposito would be a much better Lex Luthor. And the fact that they acknowledge that by having him voice it in the Harley Quinn show, like you said, just speaks to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And going off that line, as we've now confirmed, there's going to be a season three for the boys. Eventually. So the showrunners. Yes, at, at some point, given how COVID and things are going. But in great fashion, Eric Kripke, the showrunner for the show, who was also the showrunner for Supernatural, is bringing his boy, Dean Winchester, Jensen Ackles, to play Soldier Boy in season three as the main bad guy for the boys. Yo! Soldier Boy Tough. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) So to give a little background on the character, he's basically like an evil fucked up Captain America in this universe. Mm. And as confirmed by the title of the first episode that I think he or one of the showrunners put on Twitter, it will be called Payback, which is the sort of like evil Avengers of the boys universe that'll be coming in season three. So with that, we likely get other characters like I think Tech Knight, which is basically like the Iron Man of this universe and other characters of that nature. Which lineup of the Avengers are they parroting slash deconstructing? Because obviously you have to have Captain America and Iron Man. Who else do they have? Well, that's the interesting part because Stormfront was supposed to be like the Thor slash Shazam character. Mm. So Stormfront is out. So they will probably get somebody else to like step in for that role. I think they have a few other Thor like characters in this universe. I couldn't name them off the top of my head. But they do have other parodies. There's a Scarlet Witch parody, a Division parody. Can't remember the names ah. of those characters off the top of my head. But they exist in that payback group because you know payback avengers that actually <laughs> tracks yeah. yeah so yeah so basically it's been said that soldier boy's character will change drastically from the comics because in the comics soldier boy was basically sort of like a running gag of a character soldier boy kind of changed throughout the decades he was around in the 40s then when that version of soldier boy died they just replaced him at one point homelander literally fucks him in the ass on the Jeez. hero right. comic butcher bites his nose off at one point so Jeez. They got really graphic, Damn. but the showrunners have said this is going to be a very different take on Soldier Boy, and since they got Jensen Ackles to come and play this role, I don't think he's going to be anybody's patsy. He's going to bring more of that Dean Winchester charm. I think what will happen with his character will be more of what I thought they were going to do with Stormfront in Season 2, where he's going to okay. try to take over the Seven and sort of form his own crew. It's like, no, you guys are old news. We're the new kids on the block here. Fuck out of here. Okay. With that in mind, then, that does make me wonder. So they have had 
a few nods and jabs at the MCU, but I wonder if they're going to more directly jab at them this time around, if they're going to be assembling their own parody Avengers now that they've parodied the Justice League for two seasons. Yeah, it's very So, likely. like, are they going to be poking fun at the actual actors? Like, is Jensen Ackles going to come in making fun of Chris Evans' Captain America? Is Tech Knight going to be making fun of Robert Downey Jr., Iron Man? Are they going to be these very, like, these very, like, be, outlandish caricatures? Yeah, or are they going to be... Or are they going to be very? Are they going to be subtle and more poignant? You know, I think is like Tech Knight going to be an alcoholic? True. Well, he's a sex addict in the comic books. He literally oh. fucks an asteroid I mean, from exploiting. One of his lines <laughs> in the comics is, "I will literally fuck anything," and he does. Sounds like Tony. Love it. This past season they had a slight jab at Joss Whedon for like, oh, the, for the rewrites on the Seven movie that they weren't doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it was a real comic or a joke comic. It's probably a joke comic. But there was one where it's like somebody was coming on to Tony. I don't know if it was another Avenger or like a shield agent or something and then they turn out to be a scroll and, and then he's just like eh, i'll roll with it <laughs> but that does kind of make me wonder you know like austin was saying before the showrunners and the writers really have earned the trust of the audience they've earned our trust so that when they have something like this and they have these other characters that they're bringing in we're more intrigued instead of just able to just completely guess what they're going to do like i mean again case in point stormfront absolutely yeah so we thought they were going in a different direction and then they sort of like brought it back to the original comic roots it's like oh nope we're back to making her a Nazi. <laughs> yeah, and made it extremely relevant, too. Yeah, very yeah. relevant for today's audience. So, yeah, I'm very curious how they're going to switch things up for season three and what's next for the boys going forward now. Becca's gone. And, yeah, and, and Victoria Newman. And Victoria Newman, yeah. I'm curious what they go with that. I think it kind of speaks to the way that the show kind of views power and power in any sense, not just as superpower, but also as political power or social power. You have these powers as influencers, but then you also have someone as an influencer who's like an influencer and a politician and a secret superhuman running around blowing off people's heads yeah and that's an interesting departure from the comics too because i think the comic counterpart didn't have any superpowers so that's new for this character so that was a well-earned shock from fans of the comics and the show alike to see like oh that's who's been blowing everybody's heads up oh shit i think that that character is actively going to keep that a secret and that that's going to blow up in her face later on like i think that's something that they could I mean, I blatantly intended that pun. <laughs> I think that they're literally going to let that layer in there and just marinate and let it be discovered over time and give Huey like another conflict of conscience at some point. Yeah, that sounds very likely for next season. Yeah. Also, I love the fact that even the cast and the showrunners refer to that character as AOC. <laughs> they're not even hiding the reference. I mean, why wouldn't you? If you didn't get it from the beginning, you certainly got it. When I think she's like New York District 8 Congresswoman. So <laughs> yeah. That's what's seal the deal yeah. talking about you know what to expect from season three i feel like they have done what early game of thrones did where game of thrones killed off their main character in episode nine and in this show they've done the same type of things where they have made it clear to the audience that anything can happen and that's what makes what could happen next terrifying for the people rooting for huey or starlight like i am so, you know, for me, it's hard to speculate what could happen. And in a lot of ways, I don't think I want to because that's one of the reasons why I'm not going to read the comics because I like being introduced to these characters completely fresh. And that has been part of the excitement for watching these shows. So who knows? And the AOC character could change something.
sides in season three. I mean, anything's on the table at this point. Yeah, a lot of things could change. As we've now seen from the past two seasons, a lot of aspects of the comics, they've changed drastically for the show. And most of the time for the better. Like one example I can think of was Black Noir. So (laughs) in the comics, it was revealed at the end that he was actually a Homelander clone. But as we saw on the show, that's not the case because A, he has a peanut allergy and we took a small peek behind his mask and we saw that he's black. So he's obviously not a Homelander clone in the show. It's so so meta. Yeah. Is Black Noir supposed to be a parody of Batman? Yep. Okay. I was wondering about that. Yeah. So I guess it's Batman, but I guess in this case with a little more superhuman element to it. But yeah, he was supposed to be modeled after Batman. There was a character called Jack from Jupiter, which was supposed to be a parody on Martian Manhunter that was nixed from the show for some reason. I think they replaced him with Translucent. That actually makes sense. sense. (laughs) Yeah, so I wonder if he'll show up at all in upcoming seasons because I know like Lamplighter was one that like he was also in the comics in the background, but now they finally brought him in in season two and he was supposed to be like the Green Lantern parody. It makes sense, yeah. As Iceman, no less. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on The Boys season two or of the upcoming season? Black Noir having a nut allergy was fucking hilarious. Yes. That paid (laughs) off. That was the right amount of payoff. I think they said like the actor himself has a peanut allergy or something like that. And he's like, oh yeah, Yeah. fuck it. Let's just put that in. Love it. Let that be his kryptonite. And and they just rolled with it. And it was awesome. I'm eagerly awaiting season three. You know, whenever it happens. Yeah, same. I'm constantly rooting for Starlight and for Mother's Milk. You know, he's just a simple man trying to raise a family. When he reunited with his daughter, I got teary eyed. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's why he kind of took on more with Dewey. He's like, all right, Dewey actually has a plan to get shit done. You just want to get back to Becca and whatever the fuck. So it makes sense for his character. Yeah. All right. Let's get some ratings in for this season. Austin, let's start with you. How would you rate this season from 1 out of 10? I think I'm going to go with 9.5. Phenomenal season. Like I've said, vastly improved from the last season just because the stakes were raised. But, you know, I'm leaving that 0.5 because I feel like season three is going to be even better. So that's where the 0.5 is left on the table, so to speak. That's fair. All right, Brandon, how about you? I'm going to give it a nine. It's very hard to get over the sophomore slump, whether it's music or film or television. And they did so many things really well with this season. I can't personally give it any less than a nine. All right. Thank you, Brandon. Chris, what's your rating? I'm going to give it an 8.5. I think that it's really good. I think that there's room to improve that's all i got yeah i like it it's good i know good television when there's good television i like that it gets the people going yeah all right so for me i'm personally gonna go between chris and brandon and go with an 8.8 out of 10 so i really dug this season Uh, i thought it was a much of a slower burn than last season but i'm really liking where they're headed so i'm excited to see where that takes us to in future seasons and stormfront was a great villain so kudos to that i think that they did a wonderful job with that and the superhero porn and the superhero porn yes (laughs) yeah (laughs) I love that Anthony Starr was advocating for like, let's give the people what they want. They want their superhero porn parodies. Come on. I mean, the show is produced by Seth Rogen. I keep forgetting that. It's him and his friend Evan. I constantly forget that Seth Rogen produces a lot of good television shows like this, Preacher, and a lot of serious ones too. Seth Rogen, I immediately think comedy. So him doing all these these serious shows. He's like, wow, kudos to you, my man. All right, guys. And now it's time for everybody's favorite segment. It's Hot Take City. 
right. So for this week's hot take, let's start with Brandon. What do you got? I got two this week. So Ahsoka Tano has made her live action debut on The Mandalorian. This was finally confirmed and then debuted with Ahsoka being played by Rosario Dawson. Now, Ahsoka is my favorite Star Wars character and Rosario Dawson is also a bit of a celebrity crush. So it's like a match made in heaven. That being said, as epic and incredible as the episode was, you know, Star Wars fans love to find something to get mad about. There's talk about her head tails being too short. There's even debate on whether the tails are named properly, whether it's Laku or Mondrells or some other terminology, but that's really semantics. I have three words for anyone who managed to let that aesthetic ruin the episode. Get over it. <laughs> Seriously. We finally got a live action portrayal of an animated character that didn't just exist for five minutes to die like Saw Gerrera. Well, I mean, I guess Bo-Katan was not just there, but we finally got Ahsoka Tano in live action. She has had a tremendous turnaround on the character's reception from when she was first introduced 12 years ago, and she was portrayed phenomenally. Who gives a fuck about how long the head tails were? What, you worried about Shock T? She hasn't been important since 2003. Like, seriously, who gives a fuck about Shock T? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> seriously, get over it. I'm happy for Rosario Dawson. I'm really happy to see Ahsoka in live action and to see the circle being complete with the trio from the Clone Wars cartoon now all having live action actors. My last hot take is I recently watched The Queen's Gambit. I know that a lot of folks have seen it at this point and it also kicked off a long string of me playing chess online and realizing or reminding myself why I stopped playing chess long ago. Because I fucking suck at chess. <laughs> I feel like I've actually actively gotten worse the more I've played. <laughs> Let me just put it that way. Probably play more for fun as opposed to actually like saying like yeah I'm a chess master or whatever but I thought it was a really good show very interesting Anya Taylor-Joy is very good probably underutilizing New Mutants <laughs> yeah I think they filmed that before she was hitting her fame stride I think the only big thing she had done was split at that point when they filmed the one thing that I did have to take some I don't want to say umbrage with but just kind of made me kind of scratch my head a bit with the whole Queen's Gambit there's a bit of a case of magical negro going on the magical negro stereotype is whereas there is this character who was like effectively there who has some kind of magical gift or ability or something that almost so exists in order to push the white character's path forward mm -hmm. so like in this case obviously the queen's gambit is not a magical realism story you know it's more grounded in reality even if it's a fictional story but the way that i saw that they portrayed her friend from the orphanage the black lady who we only see in like two maybe three episodes max is like she's there to basically kind of like oh baby it's okay you're gonna get out of here and then like later on she shows up after they're both out of the orphanage and just lends her the money to go to russia for the end tournament and it's like like oh, a fairy okay. godmother yeah like, oh, exactly yeah. she shows up like a fairy godmother loans her her law school money for her to go play chess in russia and it's just like oh yeah don't worry about it it's just like oh, okay like the fuck i like the show that was like the one thing that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way like and i get that it's an adaptation of a novel and that's probably a way that you can tell when the novel was written but those are things that i do kind of see and those are trends and patterns that i do pick up on as i watch certain media you know 
know, how are these characters utilized? We talk a lot about representation, and that's one of the things where you can really feel that a character is thrown in there for like a deus ex machina as opposed to really being an active member of the story. That's a lot of times happened to a lot of black characters and a lot of underrepresented characters in general. A lot of it, there was a long trope. This is just stuff that I pick up on and a lot of folks will pick up on if they are aware of the various stereotypes that have gone on for various underrepresented groups. And that's why a lot of times having writers who are from those groups who really just actually make those stories from those characters' perspectives often helps to remedy that. I'm not saying that, you know, the Queen's Gambit needed to be rewritten and fixed. Having that trope pop up in something that came out in 2020 is just like, oh shit, here we go again. You're a black woman who's a paralegal in the 50s and in the 60s. You're going to undermine yourself for this random white girl. Dr. King had probably just gotten shot and you're just going to give her your law school money? Really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> when I got done watching the first episode, the first thing I did was like, is this a real story? And when I found out it was fiction, I was like, okay, okay. that'll at least ease my mind. I'm not going to sit here wondering like, like, where are all the news clippings and stuff of this now? So, so I get it's fiction. You know, people get to do this stuff. It's just, again, something that I noticed. It didn't ruin the show for me. That's fair. All right. Thank you, Brandon. So I'm going to go, go ahead with my hot takes for this week. Warner Brothers will be releasing all of their cinematic releases of 2021 simultaneously in theaters and on HBO Max, which has a lot of people talking about what this means for the future of cinema and for streaming in general. Part of me is hopeful that, yes, things will get back to some semblance of normal, but I don't think it'll be at the speed that the CEO of AMC is hoping for. So in a way, I hope that Warner Brothers negotiates something with the cinemas so that they take less of a cut from movie sales since they're already also getting revenue from HBO Max, help them fund their finances going forward for next year. Since the cinemas out here are dying, most of their revenue came from like concession sales and stuff. They obviously can't do that now with COVID, so it's a strain on them. So all they have is movie sales at this point. So hopefully they can negotiate that for Warner Brothers. And if other big media companies are planning on doing the same thing, we'll see what they do going forward because it's interesting times that we live in. But it kind of makes me think that going forward, maybe cinemas will be sort of niche to people who love the cinema versus like the everyman kind of thing. I'm thinking maybe a lot of big blockbusters might not have as big of a budget that they used to pre-COVID and they might have to get a little more ingenuous with how they use their budget. So, for example, we might get more Lord of the Rings, less The Hobbits, where it was very clear how that CGI budget was overused in one versus the other. Hopefully, this will take back an approach sort of like going back to older cinema where directors and creative teams have to get more ingenious with how to use their lower budget in order to make good films. And then my next hot take, so since we talked about the boys in this episode, going back to the original show from Eric Kripke, Supernatural went on for too goddamn long. 15 fucking seasons. Like, that show should have just quit by season five, because after that, they're just repeating storylines <coughs> over and over again, to the point where just, like, they've literally done everything humanly possible they can do with a show like this. They had an episode where they had to go inside of a Scooby-Doo episode. They've had any type of supernatural-type episode, they've done it. Harry Potter references, boom. Star Wars references, boom. Literally anything you can fucking think of in pop culture that relates to, like, sci-fi, fantasy, they've done it, and they've beaten it to death with a pulp. But, Jose, honestly, you can't <laughs> jump the shark if you're already too corny to do that. 
<laughs> well, you would think that, and then the supernatural finale happened. What they should have done, they should have ended it in the episode right before the finale, because that would have been a perfect finale. The Sam and Dean going off in the sunset, that would have been a good episode to end it on. But then, no, they kind of had to follow the tradition of recent shows that they just have a terrible finale where Dean just gets impaled by a random nail, and then that's how he dies. After the fighting fuck? literally God, took down God, the devil, and all these other super beings. But nope, he literally dies by getting impaled by a dirty nail on the wall the and give it, not have enough time to call an ambulance but having plenty of time to give sam a heartwarming speech about like it's time to let me go buddy you can carry on without me and then okay. to top it all off we have sam just going on daily life and then growing old with the worst wig i've ever seen in a tv show since probably like medusa from the inhumans tv show <laughs> like that old man wig he looked like fucking doc brown from fact of the future it was so oh bad. lord it's that bad it's that bad damn i don't know if you guys remember those inhuman just like character costumes but they um i don't know if it was just covid that they did just like cut down to the budget or what because they couldn't even bring back a lot of the characters back to the finale and people were like what, what the fuck is this they reference all these did they do the soap opera mannequins thing they did not that would have at least been a bigger nod than what they actually did in the episode then my next hot take i'm gonna make these brief so new mutants that was a movie that came out way too late. I told you. <laughs> yeah. The fact that they had one person running an entire hospital, like, blew my mind. It's like, wait, you couldn't even get extras to just be background back? <laughs> Jesus <laughs> You're set in a hospital and you have one person running the whole thing. And on top of that, they drug the person for like a, in one scene. So they could have all easily escaped, but for some reason they didn't. Then we just had a lot of wasted potential that could have been a lot better with great casting choices. But for some reason just decided to like, no, we're going to half-ass this one for some reason. We almost had Mr. Sinister in the sequel and so many great X-Men follows, but oh well. We could have had John Hamm and Mr. Sinister. After three movies of them teasing fucking Mr. Sinister, and we're finally like, oh, we're gonna get him in New Mutants 2. Nope, Disney didn't bought it. Fuck this. We're out the door now. Honestly, Disney, do us a solid. Yeah. Make Mr. Sinister the villain in your X-Men reboot. Let's finally pay like, that off. Save Magneto for later. And my last hot take is there's a show on FX slash Hulu called A Teacher, which is one of the biggest failed attempts I've seen in television in a while since like 13 Reasons Why try to make suicide awareness a thing. So this show, a teacher was supposed to be about awareness of like sexual predatory behavior between like teachers and students and acknowledge grooming in schools. But this show just handles it in a way that makes you second guess everything. Like first off, the actor playing the younger kid looks well over 25. The actress playing the teacher is like 30. So it doesn't feel weird. Like I feel like I should be uncomfortable but i'm not and they have tons of sex scenes like this is kind of hot what <laughs> <laughs> This isn't doing the intended effect here. I'm rooting for the teacher and student. What the fuck, you guys? Your mind was telling you no, but the TV TV was being like, sir, 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 we don't know what we're doing. Just put it out there. Yeah, it was weird. It didn't feel like there was any harm done. Oh, and the other kicker, the kid on the show was also 18. So, at this point, it doesn't even seem illegal. It just seems unethical. I don't know where they're going with this. It's trying to make it seem like this is a horrible thing, but the way they're presented, it's like, I feel like they just missed the mark here wildly. It continuously undercuts itself from doing a good job of, like, being, like, grooming is bad. Grooming can happen to young men, and it does happen to young men a lot. This show in particular is trying to bring awareness by doing the very 
very thing that it's trying to bring awareness to. That's kind of a thing, isn't it? Where like a piece of media will try to really discuss a topic by romanticizing it and not necessarily just addressing a realistic scenario. Right. So those are my hot takes. So throwing over to you, Austin, what are your hot takes for this week? I have two of them. One is Fargo season four. Originally, Fargo was a movie, and then it became a TV show. Season one was really good. Season two was one of the best seasons I've seen in TV in my life. Season three, good. Season four doesn't really work to the point where it's not even a Fargo show. It's just a gangster show about two Mm. dueling mob bosses trying to take over Kansas City, Missouri. But the thing is, the show has become formulaic. They use the same cinematic tropey stuff that they used to do like doing these weird like boxes of different scenes up on the TV screen. So we've seen three seasons of this formulaic cinematic boxing viewpoints that they do. It's no longer effective anymore. We've seen scene after scene of people talking deep about life and and the perfect dialogue and the somber tone that it paints. Nothing has really been added to this season. And I've seen every episode and even before this season was made I didn't understand why there needed to be a fourth Fargo season. I feel like the Fargo cinematic universe that they've created has been played out and I think if this was just a show that didn't have Fargo on it it would have been better simply because it's not about Fargo because it's not about Fargo. In the episodes I've watched they've made I think one reference to Fargo. One. So it's just another mob Mobster show. Personally, I don't really like mobster shows. I mean, I liked Goodfellas. I liked the Godfather movies, but I don't know. It almost feels like you've seen one mob show, you've seen them all. So you get roped in for the Fargo idea of having this dark, surrealist comedy, and you just get a gangster show. So when scenes have poignancy, it would have been better if they didn't attach it to Fargo and make it just another season. And that's been disappointing because the acting is great. Chris Rock is great in it. The characters are great in it. But it's not Fargo. It's a mob show. That's ultimately what's disappointing. If there's a season five, I wonder if I'll ever even watch it. Hot take number two, the Riddler in this new Batman movie we're getting. So we know Paul Dano's in it. We know Paul Dano appeared in a scene where he's got this kind of weird mask and greenish jacket on in the trailer. That's all fine and good in in the opening credits. But I will flip out if that's how he looks throughout the entire movie. Mm. Since after The Dark Knight, there were rumors that the villain for the third and final Nolan movie was going to be the Riddler. I have been praying for a Riddler movie with Riddler as the villain. They talked about Joseph Gordon-Lovett being the Riddler. They talked about David Tennant being the Riddler. They talked about Johnny Depp being the Riddler back then. And And then they And instead we get Bane and we don't even get Bane. We don't even get (laughs) Bane as Bane is. The movie is okay. It ends okay enough. Fine. But I've been waiting for a long time. And now they're bringing the Riddler into a movie here, and it's not Jim Carrey. So if we don't see a green suit and a green bowler hat and that question mark cane, I will be so pissed off. I need that. <laughs> I need it. I need it. The Riddler is 
one yeah. of my favorite villains, if not my favorite villain. I need the Riddler to be the comic book version of the Riddler. And yeah. it looks like every other person is the comic book adaptation from the Penguin to Gordon to Batman to Catwoman to Gotham City. Everything looks like, yes, this is a Batman movie comic book style. So please make Paul Dano wear a boiler hat, please. I'm begging you. Had we gotten Ben Affleck in the Matt Reeves version, that's kind of one of the things I was looking forward to because at least with Ben Affleck Batman, he's already an established Batman and his villains have already established. When Robert Pattinson, Matt Reeves confirmed, Penguin's not even a mob boss. Yes, he's a low-key mob member. Catwoman hasn't even gotten her full suit on and this is the Riddler's first ever appearance in Gotham in this universe. So I'm assuming that the looks will evolve. I think by the end of the movie, we'll see the final costumes, but it won't be like a right away kind of thing. I don't know if it'll happen by the end of the movie for some characters. It might not happen until like later on if they do like a long Halloween kind of play in future movies. But I'm with you, Austin. If they had kept on Ben Affleck, we would have gotten a Bat Family right away. We've already seen a full-fledged Riddler with a fucking Riddler suit, green question marks all over the fucking place, Catwoman and everything. So yeah, I also want to see a full-fledged Riddler with a bowler hat and question marks all over the fucking place. But I do like the new Zodiac Killer vibe that they're going with. I think that's an interesting aesthetic that they bring to a Riddler to make him sort of like scarier for modern artists and make him more intimidating as a villain. Yeah, it actually reminded me a lot of the movie Seven. Yeah, same. Mm, that's a good point. So when doing stuff with the Riddler, you kind of have to have that kind of vibe because just like in the Arkham games with the Riddler, it really is about trying to outsmart you as the detective and really humiliate everyone as he just toys around. He likes to be the smartest person in the situation. And so when he meets someone who's able to solve his puzzles and his riddles and go through everything, that's the challenge. He's constantly trying to one-up you and test your knowledge and test your mind. And so I think this is a really great iteration of Batman. I know that we've seen Batman rebooted more times than Spider-Man, but I am excited for this because for all the Batman movies that we've gotten, we haven't actually gotten a detective movie Batman. And that's what excites me the most about this. Most of the time, I'm okay with changing things up. I mean, when Huntress wasn't wearing Huntress garb, I wasn't happy about it, but I let it slide. But this I need. I need the Riddler to be the Riddler. I just, I need it. All right. Chris, what are your hot takes for this week? I have three. This first one is just basically about the COVID pandemic. And honestly, the one media platform that has really won out is Versus because HBO is probably bleeding money. Warner Brothers is probably bleeding money. Universal is bleeding money. And they're probably going to have to start giving money to cinemas. But Versus is just like two artists in a studio doing the damn thing, playing music, threatening to fight each other, but not fighting each other and generating a lot of great audience reactions on social media and giving these artists real boost in a time where they can't tour like what are you going to do for a tour you're going to have like a virtual performance that could work but you're not going to be generating ticket sales which is where the real money comes in so honestly shout outs to swiss beats and timberland for making a platform without having to spend money to make the platform in a real serious like build an app sense and also and i stand by this the best verses was not the alicia keys john legend one the best verses was bounty killer versus beanie man and (laughs) y'all can choke a dick if you don't think that 
All right. My next hot take is about everybody's favorite NBA troll, LeVar Ball, and how LeVar Ball is technically one, and he is right. He got all three of his sons into the NBA, and I really, really respect that because he really believed in his kids to a very detrimental point. I disagree with how he got them there because LeAngelo should have gone to college. LeAngelo really needed development on his basketball game and his skills and everything. But you know what? He got a contract with the Detroit Pistons. LaMelo is a prodigy. Lonzo was a prodigy and all three are signed to NBA contracts right now. So kudos to you, LeVar. You believed in your kids when people told you you were a piece of shit and that they weren't going to get anywhere. But you got two sons that were top three picks in the NBA draft. So respect, respect. He's always worked with them. He's always wanted to believe in them. He's had some missteps here and there and put bad actors around them. But you know what? Yeah. He's also tried to just lift them up. I respect the shit out of that. And my last hot take is so Haley Steinfeld is now now going to be in the Hawkeye movie playing the younger Hawkeye aka Katie Bishop and has previously done voice work for Spider-Man into the universe as Spider-Gwen and I'm just going to put something out here she can still be Spider-Gwen if they do the live action Spider-Man 3 we're going all over the Spider-Verse and pulling everybody in because the idea is in different universes you are a different person so you can look different all I'm saying the girl can act too name a movie Movie where she is terrible and and I would actually be a little surprised. Can't think of any, yeah. She was nominated yeah. for Academy Award too, so at a, a true grip. Age, so yeah, true grip. Exactly. I just hope I they didn't blow one. all their budget on um, bringing back Andrew Garfield and Toby Maguire, <laughs> if rumors are to believe. Because <laughs> if so, they might go for a low budget choice or something like Dev Cameron or who knows. I mean, honestly, you could probably just tell her, "Hey, hey, hey, we we cut the check for the Hawkeye TV show. Yeah, this is the same check. Don't worry about it." <laughs> or you could just be like, "Sony's covering this one, you guys. Don't worry. Sony covers three fourths. We cover a quarter. So you guys." to ask them for the rest of the money and then run out just run out close the door behind you change your phone number so that's where the money from the video games went <laughs> yep yeah they seem to be pulling all the stuff so this third spider-man they're bringing back jamie fox as electro Alfred molina's doc Og. who knows yeah. who else if they're gonna form the whole series he was game. so good bring home the throw back the in classic literally the only time i cared about doc Ock. yeah aside from you know superior spider-man yeah him and willem yeah. defoe's green goblin oh man yeah, perfect cast. It's the trifecta <laughs> right there, baby. Love me some Willem Dafoe. Get that man back in there. He's cool. Oh, yeah. But that's it for me, y'all. All right. Thank you guys for joining. So, Austin, where can the people find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram at ahall3234. That's A-H-A-L-L-3234. You can find me on Twitter on A-D-W Austin. That's A-D-W-A-U-S-T-I-N. And I don't have a fan page for Facebook, but I will let you know the second that I do. All right. Thank you, Austin. Brandon, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter at BCKesso. That's B. E-C-K-E-S-S-O and on Twitter at L-D Chocolate. Alright. Chris, where can the people find you? You can find me on social media for Twitter and Instagram at C-W-L-K-R-2-0. Alright. And you can find me on Twitter at S-H-1-T-J-A-Y-L-O-W-S-A-Y-S and on Instagram at J-D-L-A-92. And that's our show, everyone. Thank you and good night. Hey everyone, this is Chris with The Fact Check. This episode was recorded on December 4th, 2020. In October of 2020, it was reported that Stormfront actress Aya Cash had shown an interest in an X-Men reboot for the Marvel Cinematic Universe 
particularly playing either Jean Grey, Beast, or Rogue. The Magical Negro is a trope from American fiction usually referring to a black stock supporting character to a white protagonist. Its usage was popularized by film director Spike Lee in 2001 and is related to the Sambo and Noble Savage stereotypes. The Queen's Gambit novel was written in 1983, so before The Legend of Bagger Vance, which probably says something about the Magical Negro stereotype. After recording this episode, Leangelo Ball was cut from the Detroit Pistons and is still a free agent. Thank you for listening. And that's our show. Nerdcraft Nation is a partner of Pub Square Media and is hosted by Austin Hall, Jose Lopez, Brandon Kessley, and Chris Walker. Our theme music was composed by Daniel Ferris. If you would like to keep up with the show, please follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Nerdcraft Nation, like us on Facebook, or subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Be sure to leave a review if you can. If you would like to send us a voice message, please check out our show notes for a link to our voicemail inbox.